Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace, and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. What we shared, just a quick cursory perusal of the notes. I said to you, you are always thinking. You're always meditating. The mind is always working. It's just that it's given to the wrong matter, subject matter. It's given to the wrong emphasis. The issue is to direct the mind upon that which you should be focusing on. Ecclesiastes 7.25 says, I will direct my mind. The mind needs direction. The mind needs setting. Everyone say setting. King quotes the verse, Colossians 3.2, set your mind on things above. And I use the analogy of default setting that applies to computer programs, software programs, and most uh, electronic and digital devices, when you buy them, come with a default setting. Um, You take it out of the box, that default setting is set to function independent of user intervention. So it it functions automatically according to a certain standard. They call it presets. It's preset. You can change it um, according to different settings if you want to. But it's like a default setting. In other words, the moment you put the device on, the device will set itself to function at the presets determined by the manufacturer of the of the product. Right? Um, so, for example, sometimes when you're working in Word, um, you you might and if you if you if you change the default settings, for example, like I keep doing and I must stop doing this on my page margins when I when I type out a document, right? For various documents I use different margin spaces all right and sometimes uh, when I change it and the message will come up restore this page to default settings yes or no you click right so if I click yes it will automatically revert to the default settings that Apple put into their word program when they built it right and I can change it right what is the default setting for humans in terms of the mind when our manufacturer, our creator made you, without user intervention, what, when, when he put the breath of life into you and put you on to function in life, what was the automatic um, functioning that you should have manifested? It should be this. It should be, you got two minds, the mind of the spirit and the mind of the, the soul. The default setting for effective human functioning was this. God would speak the word, the mind of the spirit would simply receive it, right? The mind of his soul would follow blindly that which was received by the mind of the spirit. The mind of the soul would not even question the legitimacy or the the validity of that which the mind of the spirit receives as a valid, authentic word of God. The mind of the spirit says, yes, this is the word of God, I obey. The mind of the soul says, yes, I follow blindly what the mind of the spirit has has received. And in the body, you begin to obey. So there's no chance for rationalization, negotiation, doubt, um, and to get to the place where you're double-minded. James says a double-minded man is unstable in, in all his way. 
But through sin, user interference, sin uh, messed the settings up. Messed the settings up. Right? And now through the principle of sin, when God speaks, the mind of the soul wants to rebel against the word of the Lord. What meditation does, meditation resets the program. When you meditate upon, and listen carefully, Psalm 77 verse 6, David said, I will ponder with my spirit. So when I receive the word, the mind of the spirit must do the first meditation and rumination. Then your psyche, the mind of your soul, your natural mind and brain, must follow suit. The meditative matter and content of the mind of the spirit must now become the mind of the soul. And the mind of the soul will simply dovetail and follow the leading of the mind of the spirit. Next week I will give you three examples and show you exactly how this should have worked normally and how it doesn't work when the mind of the soul rebels against what the mind of the spirit receives. And But how that... Those in there, these individuals in Scripture that had this potential problem, but how simply because Scripture records clearly they meditated and there was this alignment of the mind of the soul to the mind of the spirit and they obeyed the word of the Lord and the will of the Lord triumphed. You'll see how key meditation is in that, in that, in that process. I said to you on, on page one, you must meditate on God's Word. Page two, you must meditate on the person of God, right? Meditate on the, the person of God, the ways of God, right? The person or the, the ways of God. And just to, 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 um, to reiterate, in Psalm 27 verse 4, One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I might dwell in the, byeth, the house of the Lord, all the days of my life to do what? To behold the beauty of the Lord. And then it says, and to meditate. The King James uses the word inquire. And to meditate in his temple. And I said to you, that word meditate, used in Psalm 27.4, is the word bakar. And it literally means many things. But the image is one of the plowing of the mind. So when you plow a field, what do you do? You prepare it, you loosen the hardness, you prepare it for the reception of seed. What does meditation do? Meditation irrigates and plows your mind, even, I believe, for the reception of more word. Right? That's what I said to you, uh, for those going to the conference at, at, the, at the Apostolic Leadership Summit last week, I said, go with a plowed mind. Go with a, not hard soil, go with a meditated mind. So when the seed is thrown, it's received on soil, that gives it potential and activates its, uh, its germinating and, and growth uh, potential. Amen? So that's critically important. I'm just doing a quickly, quick summary. Page 3. On page 3, um, an interesting verse is Psalm 48, verse 9. Within your temple, O God, we meditate on your unfailing love. Right? We meditate on your unfailing love. And the word meditate literally means to make comparisons there or to liken unto. It's powerful when you meditate is to find analogies for the aspects of God's nature that you meditate on. David said, I meditate upon your love. Not just your love. I meditate upon the unfailing nature of your love. So it's intense. It's, it's, 
It's taking a concept in God and really um, plumbing or plowing the depths of it. What the psalmist a lot of time did, he tried to find analogies in life that are compatible to aspects of God that he was meditating upon. Okay? And so it's a powerful sort of uh, mode of, of meditation. And um, your meditation on the nature of God, whenever you think about God, how many of you think about God? Keegan must think about him, right? Your thinking about God denotes your fear and reverence for him. Job 15.4 says, Who are you? Let me just read it carefully. Indeed, you do away with reverence and fear, and you hinder meditation before God. Meditation is hindered when there is no fear for God. Meditation is hindered when there is no reverence for God. You do not meditate when you do not esteem God highly. If you esteem God highly, He will be in your mind. He will be in your thoughts. Okay? And this word, the word is sikhat, means to, to meditate. You do away with reverence. So you take reverence and awe. You do away with it. And once you delete reverence for God, this Eliphaz was talking to Job. Yeah, he said to Job, if you, if, you, if you do away with reverence, you prevent or you hinder the process of meditation. So the principle is, he who meditates has a great regard and esteem for the, for the Lord. For me, meditation is an expression of worship. But then I love Malachi 3.16, right? Remember, they that spake often one to another. They spoke often one to another. Fellowship. Sharing Christ one with each other. And the Bible says, and the Lord... The Lord listened to what these guys were talking about. He came near and a book of remembrance was opened to them that did what? To those that feared the Lord. Again, your reverence for God. To those that feared the Lord and meditated. Or those who meditate upon His, upon his name. And I love the, the word for meditate in this context. Right? The gentle word for meditate is agar. Joshua 1.8, the cow. But there are certain sub-words, and in this context, Malachi 3.16, the word is chashab, which means many things. It also means to have regard or value, as you can see. But it also means to plait. Uh, who got plaits on? No one's hair is plaited here. What plaits out of fashion? No one got plaits. Where? Taylor, just stand up quickly, baby. Okay, come stand here quickly. You're on show now today. Okay, okay tell you got plats on. So what, what do plats do? Okay, you're the object lesson now, right? <laughs> plats is composed of at least three strands. You can't plat with two. <laughs> okay. Three or more. And so what does the plat do? The plat holds the hair together. Right? So there's no so if you go ah and you and you you're still looking nice, not so? Why? Because it keeps it neat, it keeps it Orderly, not so, right? Uh, thanks. Let's give Taylor a hand. Okay. Thank God you flattered your ear today. Otherwise, we wouldn't have an object lesson. Amen. The meditated mind is a plattered mind. It's a three-stranded mind. The Bible says the threefold cord is not easily, is not easily broken. The unmeditated mind is the loose mind. It's a scattered mind. And I, I, I asked you to add a verse in at that portion. Second Thessalonians 3, 2 says, Paul says, 
Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2 and 3. Paul said to the, to the Thessalonians, Do not be soon shaken in mind. It's amazing how people are easily persuaded to adopt views that oppose truth so easily. You become persuaded away from the truth. Right? But if your mind is plattered with truth, it's not, truth is not easily dislodged. Right? So the meditated mind is the, the plattered mind. And then quickly, I'm going to rush so we can finish this. Thirdly, um, I want to encourage you, focus your meditation also, not just on the Word of God, not just on the ways of God or the person of Christ. Let me just say this, and I'll stress this towards the end. In terms of the person, the ways of God, the aspect of God you meditate upon, you become. Right? And I'll demonstrate that to you shortly from Gideon's example. Thirdly, meditate upon the deeds or the works of God. There are many scriptures in this regard. I've just chosen a few. I don't want to make this note too exhaustive. Psalm 77 verse 12. I meditate on your your works. I meditate on your work. And I muse. Everyone say muse. I muse upon your deeds. Right? The word muse, yeah, like I got in brackets in your notes, is the same word, sikah, which means to reflect or to muse upon. Um, have you ever mused upon the things God has done for you? Isn't it powerful? When you think back and you think of how God has broken through for you, you think of how, for example, a prophetic word he gave you came to pass. And it well overwhelms your heart with thanksgiving, praise, and worship to the Lord. Now listen carefully. I want to I challenge you. Don't ever forget what God has done for you. The scriptures are replete with examples where especially in the Psalms, in fact, in the Psalms, the, 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 the simple verb, remember, is used, well, in the scriptures it's used 165 times. 43 of those occurrences occur in the book of Psalms. The Psalms were given to reflection and to remind themselves of how good God has, God has been, Right? I want to encourage you, never ever forget the Lord your God. God said this consistently to Israel. When you are enriched, when you come into the land, and you have houses you've never built, and you have trees and, 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 all, and, 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 and all sorts of provision, do not forget the Lord your God. God knows the subtlety of blessing. It has the tendency to cause amnesia in people. Hmm? I'm going to say it again. Blessing has the subtle tendency to cause amnesia in people. The moment is like you were, you were in a fix and you called upon the Lord and He broke through for you. And now when He blesses you, you forget those times. And God knew this. So God would say, this is Deuteronomy 18, God would say, thou shalt not forget it. It's the Lord thy God that giveth thee the power to get wealth. Right? So never ever forget the times when he broke through for you. One leper came back to give God thanks. Nine quickly forgot. In the moment they were healed, they forgot. So tell your neighbor, always remember what God has done. I love that song when I think about the Lord, how he saved me, raised me, filled me with the Holy Ghost. Makes me want to shout, hallelujah. Amen. So never forget what the Lord has done for you. It's scriptural. To muse upon that. Right? David said he brought me out of a horrible pit. How many pits have you been? Eh? 
<laughs> Some of your middle name is Pitt. But God has, God has extracted you from the pit. And then you're now in the palace. Amen. David said he delivered me from a horrible. I like, the, well, I like his, his phrasing. He delivered me from a horrible pit. Set my feet upon a sure, a sure footing. Where would we be without the Lord? Eh? We have so much to meditate upon his goodness. Psalm 143 verse 5 says this. I will, medi- I will remember the days of old. I meditate upon all your doings. And I muse upon the work of your hand. May I encourage you, maybe tonight at some stage, apart from your meditation upon the word, especially the words released from your spiritual father, apart from your meditation upon the person of Christ, aspects of his nature, also take time to reflect on how God has been gracious to you. Tell your neighbor, never forget, never forget. Please remember what God has done. You know what? Otherwise, an ungratefulness begins to settle in, a lethargy in the spirit. Right? So, Works of God that He has done historically for us in the past are good activators to well up within us uh, and, uh, attitudes and expressions of thanksgiving, praise, worship, and even commitment. You know what? When your commitment's waning, just think about when you were in a hor- horrible pit, He rescued you. That has the, the, it incites you. Hey, I can't wane now. What? My life must be reflective of a life of gratitude. For all that he's done for me. Right? Some Christians whom God has rescued from horrible pits behave as though God did nothing for them. Right? Ungratefulness is a serious issue in the kingdom. Ingratitude. Serious issue. And you must guard against that. Verse 5 of the same Psalm. um, Psalm 145 verse 5 says, I will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate upon all your wonderful works. Now, while you must remember the past, and I put all the verses in there for you to consider. Do you remember um, God remembers us? Do you know that you will never be able to extract yourself from the thoughts of God concerning you? Think about how much God thinks about you and think about how less you think of him. David said it like this, your thoughts, your thoughts toward me, O God. If ever there is the supreme meditator, it's God himself. And the subject of his meditation is you. He says, your thoughts toward me, O God, are vast. The sum of them is so vast, they are more in number than the sand of the sea. If I were to count them, he says, I wouldn't be able to. Now think about that. His mind is filled with you. And, 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 and it's not just that he has me on his mind. God just doesn't have you on your mind. The psalmist had a revelation of, he used the word vast. Everyone say vast. How vast? In other words, if I open God's mind now and pull up a file in his, in his thoughts, and the file is called Randolph Barnwell, my subject. Double click on that in God's mind. I don't think there will be a computer program on the earth that will hold the data of God's thoughts concerning me. David said, and I take it literally, who can count the number of sands on the sea? Tell me who. Want to take a chance? No. David said this, his thoughts toward me far outnumber even that. It's amazing how God's mind is filled with me. And so my challenge to us, mirror 
the activity of his mind. As his mind is filled with you, so let your mind be filled with, with him. Remember we often read, and God remembered Moses. And God remembered Hannah. And God remembered Israel and heard their cries. God never forgets. How often we forget. Amen. So may your mind be filled with God. But my challenge to us this morning is this. Listen carefully. In thinking of what he's done in the past. Here's the challenge. Because some people can be so focused there on what he did in the past. That there's no evidence of God's doings in their life now. I'm going to say it nicely. What God did in the past is no substitute for or no validation for the absence of his doings now. In fact, what he did in the past should be the activator to reach out for his present doings within your life. Amen. Now, David, or not David, the prophet said it like this, Isaiah 43. See in your notes, verse 18 and 19. He said, do not call to mind. Now I'm telling you, call to mind. Yeah, the guy says, don't call to mind. What he did in the past. So there's a context for it. He says, do not call to mind the former things. Excuse me. Or ponder. Think about me. Or ponder the things of the past. Behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? I will even make a roadway in the, in the wilderness and rivers in the, in the desert. The word ponder here is the, Greek, is the Hebrew bin. And it literally means to understand, to separate mentally, to, to discern, right? To consider diligently. And call to mind, obviously, is a card means to remember. Now, what is God saying here? God says, do not call to mind the former things. In a day when I'm about to do something new. And the context for this is, don't make monuments out of what God did in the past. And regard those monuments as excuse for his present or the absence of his present doings. Right? And it's amazing. All people can do when you see them was to testify of 1963. Right? But presently, you got, you got no, uh, you're not, you're not, you're not um, timely and you're not up to date in terms of the present dealings of God. God says in this verse, don't call the former things to mind. Listen carefully. When is it inappropriate to remember what he did in the past? It's inappropriate to remember what he did in the past. When in your present, he's about to do something new, but you are so loyal to what he did in the past. Your subscription to what is in the past actually presents itself as an obstacle, even in mindset, to what he wants to do now. And sometimes you have, you have uh, preconceived notions. Because he did it like that, I'm expecting this. And sometimes ruminating on a past methodology will be preventive to what God wants to do presently. The, the, the thing, listen carefully, I put it in bold, listen carefully in the paragraph. The essential thought... The thing that God is really concerned about here, the essential thought here is that God is concerned His people do not adopt a mindset or mental preoccupation with that which is not conducive to the unfolding of the new thing that is about to do. In this sense, meditation 
must also incorporate a prophetic quality. Everyone say prophetic quality. A prophetic quality of perceiving the intent and purpose of God about to break forth upon us. So listen carefully. Do not call, pause it like this. I forget the things which are behind and I press forward to the things that lie, lie ahead. Now good and bad things can be prohibitive to your embracing what God wants to do now. Amen. Now, while I'm grateful, when I think about what God did in the past, I'm always grateful. When I think about how we got this building by a supernatural intervention of God, I'm always grateful. Right? And I meditate and I give thanks. But in my mind, I also have this prophetic quality of thinking that, God, you're about to do something new. Right? That's a step up from what you previously did. So I'm embracing a roadway in the wilderness. I'm embracing a river in the, in the desert. Tell your neighbor God's about to do something new. Can I ask you, in your meditative endeavors, reflect with a prophetic quality, project ahead to what he is about to do. The deeds. Everyone say the deeds. We're focusing on meditating on the deeds of God. It's past, it's present, and it's, and it's, and it's, also, it's also future. Okay. Let me close up because I know it's hot today. Particularly hot. Right? So I don't want to keep you here too long. Um, I don't want to do point four in your notes because I think Keegan covered that in his... Um, what to meditate upon? The Bible has two passages. The one is that the one he quoted, Ephesians, uh, Philippians 4, 8 and 9. It says, finally, brothers... Did not the youth also focus on this at some stage? As a scripture, you did. Right? Philippians 4, 8 and 9... Whatsoever things are true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, good report, excellent, worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Think about things that are excellent, praiseworthy. This literally opens the meditations matter to anything within the confines of God's word. Things that are good, honest report, excellent, right? First, let me just read First Timothy 4 also, it says, Father talking to a son, verse 16. Prescribe and teach these things. Everyone say these things. So Father tells the son what to teach. Prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down upon you because of your youthfulness. Don't let people despise you because you are young. Right? Timothy was a relatively young person. Right? Given huge responsibility for the lead of the church at Ephesus. So Paul, his father in the Lord, says, tells him, prescribes to him what to teach, then encourages him not to let, listen to me carefully, not to let anything in his physical, emotional makeup be a handicap in his ministry. Timothy had several problems. Youthfulness was the one. He was young. Remember in, in his first letter, he said, flee youthful lusts. Right? Timothy was a young man. Right? Approximately 30, which by Jewish standards was very young in this context. Right? He, was, he was young. He was sickly. When Paul said to him, use a little wine for your oft infirmities. Timothy wasn't just infirm. He was oft. He was like a sickly boy. He, 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 had, he had some physical challenges. And that's why, you know, I, I'm really concerned how easily the present church gives into physical limitation. Right? 
the, in, Timothy had to contend with much, and Paul had these huge expectations of him, but there was so much going like against him. He was young, and it seems as though some elderly folk despised him and his leadership. So he had to be, he, had, he was sickly, and often at that, not just once. I think this boy was sickly very often, right? Also, he had a spirit of timidity. He was shy. He wasn't your leader, right? He was timid by disposition. He was withdrawn. He was an introvert by psychological standards. So Paul would say to him, God has not given us a spirit of... The word fear there in the Greek is timidity. God has not given us the spirit of timidity, timidity, but of love, power, and of a sound mind. You can't even in this season use your temperament as your excuse. You can't even in this season use your physical condition and your physical circumstances as your excuse. You can't even in this season use people's perceptions about you and sometimes they disregard you as your excuse. No matter what the opinion is of, of you, no matter what your physical limitations, it might not be illness, it could be other things, no matter what your emotional handicaps are, in the season there is no, con, there is no excuse. But how does, how does Paul, isn't Paul being unrealistic? You know, Paul saw some things in the spirit and he wanted his son to overcome these things so he could fulfill his, the purpose of the Lord for his life. And so he continues, he says, let no one look down upon you because of your youth, rather in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity, show yourself as an example to all the believers. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of the scripture, like we do, to exhortation, to, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was bestowed upon you by prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Here's the punchline. Next verse. Meditate on these things. Timothy, if ever you are going to come to the man of God, God made you to be. You got so much going against you on so many fronts. Yeah, I'm laying these expectations upon you because I perceive the will of God for your life. But Timothy, your personal responsibility is... And I love it. Eh? Um, this is from the New American Standard Version. It says, it doesn't use the word meditate. It uses the word take pains with these things. The King James uses the word meditate, which is really right. It's the Greek word maletio, which means to earnestly ponder upon, reflect, deeply ruminate. So, say it with me. Take pains about these things. Uh, Say, meditate on these things. I see, I, I feel the speaking of the Lord seriously here this morning. Turn to your neighbor and say, no excuse is valid anymore. <laughs> Timothy had a host of issues contending against him in, in terms of where God is taking him to. And yet Paul is seemingly unsympathetic. He simply says, hey guy, take pains with these things. Meditate upon them, and what will be the result? Meditate upon them. He says, I like the, the, the New American Standard, it says, take pains with these things and be absorbed in them. I really believe, you know, we are busy with so much. Even mentally, we are thinking on a mental drift 
is a serious problem in the kingdom. Our minds are being called to so many things. Yet scripture calls upon us to be absorbed in the thing that God is stressing for our time. Meditate upon these things. And what will be the result of your meditation? Your progress, he says, will become evident to everybody. Some people say, I've got progress, but no one can see it. <laughs> progress must be apparent. Uh, one, of the, 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 uh, one of the versions says, and your progress will be apparent to all. Right? It, will be it will be seen, obvious. Right? Who wants measurable progress? I'm saying, God, I'm so... You know, I, I literally came away from the apostolic school with a measure of discontent in my heart for my own life, knowing I'm nowhere near where God, I need to be in God. I'm saying, God, I need to be far more absorbed in my calling and what I need to do, far more. Tell you never be absorbed in meditation. Then the next verse, he says, play close attention to these things, for then, tell you never, so play close Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation for yourself and all of those who hear you. Amen? So the subject of your meditation, tell you never whatsoever things. So yeah, Paul in Philippians 8 throws it. Whatsoever things are pure, honorable, excellent, think on these things. Then Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, Meditate on these things. What things? Number one, the things I've released to you. Meditate also on how, Timothy, you can overcome every physical limitation poised against you. Number three, meditate upon the fact that you need to set yourself up as a pattern for all the believers to follow. Right? Become the prototype. Become the standard. Um, let me challenge you. Become the standard of obedience in the house. If ever there needs to be competition in this house, it needs to be good in this sense. Try to strive amongst your sons to become the standard of obedience, the standard of holiness, the standard of faithfulness, the standard of faithful giving financially, the standard of how it is to love the brothers, the standard how easy it is to forgive the brothers. Become the standard. Paul said this to Timothy. Timothy, set yourself up as the template for everybody else to copy. But how are you going to get there? This is not going to happen. Your personal responsibility is take pains with everything I've, teach, I've taught you. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will become apparent to all. Right? Take heed unto yourself and to your doctrine. For then you will both save you and those that hear you. Amen? Amen? Critically important. Everyone say become the standard. Okay, last 10 minutes. Quickly. Last, last point. What I want, I want to encourage you because to do in your meditation, apart from meditating on the Word of God, the person of God, the, the ways of the Lord, the deeds, thirdly, the deeds of God, what He's done, past, present, and prophetically projecting to the future, apart from the gentle things mentioned in Philippians 4 and 1 Timothy 4. Lastly, point five, you must spend a lot of time meditating upon who you are in Christ. Especially your identity as God's firstborn son. Amen? Tell you never I'm the firstborn. We will decode the meaning of firstborn in the, the rest of the year probably. It's a powerful, powerful truth that God is releasing to us. Amen? 
Um, do you remember we, we did session five, the mirror of the word? Now, what do you see when you look at a mirror? What do you see? You see your reflection. How did, how did James and Paul use the image of the word as a mirror in Scripture? Paul, oh, James said he will looks into the perfect law of liberty. Sees, looks as a man would see himself in a, as a mirror. Right? He who hears and does not do is like a man that looks himself at a mirror and he goes away and does not do and immediately he forgets what he has seen. Right? Paul said it like this, but we all with open face behold the glory of the Lord as in a mirror. We are changed from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. Changed into the same image. So listen carefully. Paul said we are changed into the same image from glory to glory. That can't be natural. You can't use the analogy strictly um, from the natural mirror as to a spiritual. Because in the natural you see your reflection. But the word is the mirror. And so when you read the word, what do you see? Paul says, we see the glory of the Lord and we are transformed into that same image from glory to glory. I like to say it like this. Whenever I look into the mirror of God's word, I see myself as I existed in Christ. So I don't see my present condition. I see what the word reveals to me of what God made me to be in Christ. And as I behold Christ, I am transformed into that same image from glory to glory. But James says, it demands, oh, it demands obedience. Now, whatever, listen carefully, when you meditate upon the word of the Lord, upon the nature of God, you are literally beholding His glory. And whatever thing you see, you will, you will, you will become. The more you beho behold Him, the more you become like Him. Not so. It's important to whenever you study the Scriptures, read the Scriptures, and for our purposes, meditate on the Scripture, that you always seek to get a glimpse into a new realm of the nature of Christ. It must come to you because you're only changed as you see. No beholding, no transformation. Right? No beholding, no transformation. It's important to see in what God in His wisdom will do. He will come to you in reference to His purpose for you and show you aspects of His nature that you must impartationally receive because the reception of that aspect of His nature is critical in the execution of His purpose for you. Your mind is to ruminate on what He reveals to you of His person. As you do so, you imbibe the same quality. The imbibing of that quality is not just a matter of transference to make you all that He is. It's, yes, it's true, but it's in reference to His purpose for you. Everyone say in reference to purpose. So, what you would soon discover happening, I mean... It's good. You can just leave, leave this building and say, well, I'm going to ruminate now and meditate on all the aspects of God's nature. It's too vast. There's many. Right? Everyone say purpose. In reference to your assignment, you must imbibe the totality of God's quality. Yes, that's true. But in reference to things that you must do in a certain epoch in time, there are certain aspects of God's nature that have got to be extremely strong in you 
at the time you execute that function. And it's very important, and God in His wisdom will guide you. He will, he will show you scriptures or through what we release here in the house. He will unveil certain aspects of His nature to you. Because, I mean, there's a myriad of attributes associated with God. What are you going to focus on? I'm saying, no, take it all. Just take what is revealed to you at the point in time in which God is revealing His nature to you through the Word. Because that's going to empower you to do His will for you. Now look at, to demonstrate this, look at page 6. Gideon was a mighty man of valor. What was the enemy in Gideon's time against Israel? Who were the, the group? Midianites. What does Midian mean? Strife, con, tension. Not so? Now let's read this. Judges 6, verse 12. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O mighty warrior. Repeat after me. Gideon is a mighty warrior. I'll tell you never that's God's perception, not Gideon's. <laughs> yeah, this man is busy. And you know what Gideon's name means? Gideon, Gideon's name means several things. It means valiant warrior, or means warrior specifically. It also means a cutter. He who cuts and like fells trees. He just goes and he sorts out. Not so? Tell you remember we're cutting. <laughs> Gideon is a cutter. So, this, look, look at how God talks to him. This is not his view of himself. It is God's estimation of the man. The problem is, God's thoughts are way above his thoughts. The problem is, God's ways are way above his ways. The problem is, God's understanding of the man and the man's understanding of himself are far removed, polarized. One, they're both at opposite extremes. Right? So how is God going to cause the man to adopt his description of him? Right? The Lord looked at him and said, Go in this your strength, deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? He said to him, O Lord, how will I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least. Everyone say the least. You should circle it. So God's view of him is, Hey, you are, you are a bad warrior. You are a mighty dude. You are a bad man with the sword. I can see you. You go into uh, an enemy uh, battle context, and I can just see you wiping and cutting trees, bro. You call Gideon. You just want to mess the people up. So that's God's view of him. His response is least. God's response is mighty warrior. First words out of his mouth, least. He's like a uh, least, right? Listen carefully. You will never become in your behavior what you haven't assimilated in your belief. You will never be the man and the woman God called you to be if your thinking is still dwarfed. You're thinking least, you're thinking small, yet God says, but I don't have that uh, 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 expression of function for you. Your biggest limitation is not the devil. If ever the devil was reduced to literally nothing, it was this week. <laughs> right? And you'll, you'll get the teachings. If ever for me, the devil is almost, like non, non, almost non-existent. He still exists, but it's not a factor. The biggest limitation we were taught, the biggest hindrance is the Adamic nature in you. Dr. Sege said the devil is becoming smaller and smaller and smaller in what we have to do. He's not the issue. The issue we are, we are, we are challenging 
is the Adamic sinful nature in men. And you, part of your thinking process is to align how you think to the ways of God. The Bible says, the carnal mind, you think carnally all the time. You are at enmity with God. Romans, I taught you this. Romans 8 says, the carnal mind is an enemy of God. Right? And, but you must set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Right? You must set your mind on things above where you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Belief informs behavior. Tamo taught us this. Repeat after me. Belief informs behavior. So I can't adopt to be I can't I can't hope to become anything in my functional behavior if that thing has not saturated my mind. So listen carefully. I'm going to paraphrase because of time. Let's just read this quickly. Now he says, verse 15, my family is the least in Manasseh and I am the youngest in my father's house. How's that for a for self-talk? <laughs> this guy says, problem is, Lord, I know you, you think of me as a valiant warrior, but the problem is my family, first problem, my family. My family thinks very small. We're actually the least. Then me in my family, I'm actually right at the bottom of the pile. I'm the youngest. You are saying my context thinks small, and me in my context, I think the smallest of them all. Right? Family. Tell you about family. Now is not the time to think small. I'm talking to you, this family. You see, when, when God releases mandates for this family from the heavens, we, we cannot say what Gideon says. This family is too small. The mindset of Gideon was, in terms of Manasseh, from the tribe of Manasseh, we are the least, we're right at the bottom of the pile. Right? Look, listen carefully. He says, the least in Manasseh. You know, Manasseh was firstborn. But remember, Manasseh and, what's the other guy's name? Ephraim. What were Joseph's boys. Joseph. And remember, he brought the two boys to Jacob to bless. Manasseh's firstborn. Ephraim is secondborn. Joseph positioned Manasseh at Jacob's right hand because the transfer of the birthright, the blessing, would be from the right hand of the father. So think of Jacob. He's blind. He can't see anything. He's blind. Joseph brings his two sons, Manasseh, yeah, close my eyes now, Manasseh, yeah, Ephraim, yeah. So the time for the blessing, Joseph does this, Jacob does this. He should have just done this and impart the blessing of the right hand onto the eldest firstborn. As the boys came to him, the Bible says he did this. The Bible says, and I like the King James, it says he wittingly crossed his hands, knowingly or with prophetic insight. He knew that although Manasseh was firstborn, the blessing would go to Ephraim. And I'll talk about that context because when we do firstborn son, we'll examine all the cases where firstborn sons either forfeited the birthright and it went to others. And that context is a powerful case study. But just think about it. Gideon comes from a line that forfeited birthright. And there are certain reasons. I'll discuss that with you sh shortly. So, it's like he's got an easy, his whole thinking is, is, he grew up with this legacy. Manasseh is the least of all the tribes. Manasseh, we should have been occupying firstborn privilege. But it went to Ephraim, which is another tribe that's always superior to us. 
So everything about him is less than. Let me, okay, I'm running ahead of myself. Listen carefully. Verse 22. When Gideon saw it was the angel of the Lord, he said, Alas, Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. The Lord said to him, notice, peace to you. Why peace? Why peace? Think, think, think with me. Why peace? Because he's going to fight an enemy of strife. Why must I fill this man with peace? Because the enemy he's going to deal with is intent upon destroying peace. Peace to you, Gideon. And it's not the importation of an abstract emotional state called peace. Who is peace? God, this was an importation. I think, if you want to make the analogy, Gideon is looking into the perfect law of liberty. He's looking into the mirror of God's word. He sees himself initially least, small, Manasseh's least. But when he looks at the angel, which was the Lord himself in this context, first thing God says to him, peace to you. Right? And notice what happens. You shall do not fear, you will not die. Tell you never, nobody's dying in the season. I declare to you prophetically, you're not going to die. You will not be a statistic in the current season. I declare you will be prosperous. Things will go well with you. But it all depends on your thinking. As a man thinks so easy, you are never going to amount to more than your self-concept. And I believe in the season through meditation, it's a powerful way in which we're going to align what we think to what God thinks of us. And notice what Gideon does. Gideon built an altar. One thing Sean said to me, when he said to me and reminded me about the possible principles, he said, Randolph, we all have to go back to the altar and build altars. Every move of God started with an altar, Passover, and foundations. Three things he mentioned. Passover, altar, Passover, and foundations. And he said this to me 20 years ago when this apostolic move hit Durban. We made fundamental errors at the altar and in terms of the foundations. And now those things are raising its heads to haunt us. But we've got to revisit the foundations and rebuild them again. So Gideon realizes the importance of sacrifice and assimilating everything he's hearing. Builds an altar, and what does he call it? Gideon built an altar there to the Lord, and he named it, the Lord is peace. What Jehovah name of God is that? Jehovah Shalom. What book of the Bible is this? What book are we reading? This is quite far into Old Testament history. Not so. This is Judges. Right? Who received the revelation of the Lord is my provision? What chapter, what book? Genesis? Chapter? (laughs) I don't even know. (laughs) I think it's 20 something, 22, thereabouts. In any case, 20 something. Tell number 20 something. <laughs> what God did progressively through time, listen carefully, He revealed aspects of His nature to men in their generation. Those men embodied the quality of what they saw because it was critical to their function in that epoch in time. Gideon sees what? How, what does God in His wisdom, He never, listen to me carefully, God never ever before up to this point in human history, revealed himself as a peaceful God. Never before. No man saw him like this. 
Why was it important for Gideon to see him? In this capacity. You would think, if I were God, I would show this man my might. I am the Lord of war, the warrior Gideon. God simply comes, peace to you. Why? The embodiment of my nature as peace is going to be your military strength to obliterate a people that are intent on contention and strife. You see what God does. The enemy has a quality. God has a quality. The qualities of God that he is, that he expects us to become, they are both antithetical. They're opposite. Plus they are, they are, they are authoritatively superior to the quality of the enemy. It's opposite, listen carefully, it's opposite to, but authoritatively superior to. So the enemy is strife, God is peace. It's opposite, peace and strife, for op- but peace is authoritatively superior to. You're going to need a superior dimension to obliterate that which the enemy seeks to, to install, not so. So it's not just a matter of a man skilled in war. That's why God proved it to him. How big was his army when he called the men to go fight? 32,000. God shrunk that army to how many people? 300. Because God wanted to prove to him it's not by numbers. It's by the imbibing of my nature of peace in you that you're going to destroy the enemy. But I'm saying all of that now to say this. Everyone say firstborn. I'm prophesying to you. We must meditate when we release the truth of the firstborn. You must meditate upon it so strongly. You know why? I believe in 2014, like God did the Lord of provision to Abram, like God did the Lord uh, Shalom, Jehovah Shalom to Gideon, because it was necessary for their time in their epoch. I prophesy to this house, and if I have any credibility with you, please believe me, that in this year, God is going to raise up an identity within us called we are the firstborn son. It's going to sort of align uh, inaccurate perceptions that, and views we have about ourselves. What is God after? God's after us assimilating an essential quality that's inherent within his son as firstborn. It has to become ours. Not just for the sake of us becoming like God, that is true, but for the sake of us becoming highly effectual in the execution of a purpose that's going to obliterate every single enemy that stands up in opposition against the purposes of God. It's going to be that critical. So the process of meditation now takes on heightened importance. It's now far more serious than what we even... When, when, I, when I wrote this up, this was about two weeks ago, I typed this up. When I wrote this up, I realized how far more important it is. My mother-in-law um, last week gave me a note on meditation that I did, I don't know, 15 years ago. I wrote a study on this topic. And um, it was at a ladies' camp. My mother-in-law was part of the Open Door Church. And I was invited to preach. And the subject there was meditation. So I typed this thing up. It was like a four-page thing. I was amazed how this four-page thing has become almost a manual now, you know, in terms of the way in which the revelation has, has, has grown. And I realized God is preparing us for something powerful. I want to encourage all the young men here, right? All the young people that shared recently were powerful, not so? Yeah, MD? Awesome destiny they have. 
And you know, I think maybe Gideon's fear was the wording of the Lord, because God said to him, I will deal with Midian with you as with one man. <laughs> I think he's overwhelmed, like the sheer, and you know, Midianites, the Midianite was an historical enemy. He grew up with them. He grew up with, Gideon knew their power. Gideon knew what they represented. Yet God says to him, I will deal with them through you as with one man. What does one, the principle of unity, not so, the principle of oneness rather. Remember Gideon's 300, the loaf that rolled into the Midianite camp? And the interpretation of the dream was the sword of Gideon and the sword of the Lord. Right? This is nothing more than Gideon's army. Amen? Gideon's army is more about oneness. Gideon's army is about a people that have fully assimilated God's view of them and have become like God. And that becomes a strength by which they kill everything that opposes the nature of God. Right? I didn't expect this thing to come out the way it has. I think it's the Lord. I was going to stand nicely and be a nice teacher of God's word. I really believe this is the prophetic thing. God is saying to you, you know, I have this, that, that for you. But your biggest hindrance is the way you think. So align your thoughts to my thoughts. You know, I'm so encouraged. You don't, you don't believe how encouraged I am by my own preaching this morning. I'm so encouraged by the word of the Lord. I said, Lord, let nothing, like I said earlier, nothing be an excuse. I will not blame anyone anymore. I will take the blame squarely upon myself. Because all that attends me of God's purpose is directly contingent upon my estimation of what He has made me to be. You know, I, don't know, I, I phrased it in a certain way. Look at the chapter, the, the paragraph as we conclude. The last paragraph on page 6. Meditation, after Judges 6. Meditation upon God's view of you. Listen carefully to the wording. Meditation upon God's view of you. Your view is least. Your, your, your view is 110 excuses. But meditation upon, like in terms of Gideon's example, mighty man of valor, God's view, not my view of least. Meditation upon God's view of you, as revealed in and through His word, aligns your own perception to agree with His so that you can function in the power of the truth of himself presented to you in his description of you. You can function in the power of the truth that he presents to you in the way in which he described you. Embedded in God's description of you is his nature. It's not just what he called you to do. Who's got prophecies? Miss your hand. You got prophecies outstanding. It's not God is not saying I want you and you'll become this. His description of you is actually a presentation of his nature to you. That you must assimilate in your quest to execute and make that prophecy become a, a reality. Amen. Now everyone say firstborn son. Okay, I won't go to the rest because of time. Firstborn son must become your default setting. When God made you, the owner, the manufacturer, our creator, made you to be his firstborn son. And I really want to encourage you. That must be the subject of your meditation. Stand with me as we pray. Hallelujah. Let's lift our hands to the Lord.
Isaiah 55 says, Let the unrighteous man forsake his thoughts. Let the wicked man forsake his thoughts. Forsake any thought right now, brethren, that is contrary to God's description of you. Forsake it. Lay it off. Say, God, let your thoughts... God's got great things in store for us. God is forming Gideon's army. I believe that's going to deal with historical enemies of his in time to come. But it's going to demand we imbibe the very nature of God himself. So as you lift your hands, Father, I bless your sons in your name. I invoke the blessing of grace upon their lives. I pray they all be filled with grace, filled with the correct mindset of who they are and who you've made them to be. We, we dismantle every thought and imagination within us right now that opposes the knowledge of Christ that you've made us to be. I ask in Jesus' name, I've got every inaccurate perception. The things by which we make excuse. Timothy could have said, Lord, but I'm young. Lord, but I'm sick. Lord, but people, no one respects me. No one, everyone's despising me. Yet you call upon him to function at a realm because of your purpose. I pray even now. Come on, lift your hands, church. I pray even now, Father, no limitation will be valid enough as an excuse for us in this season. We will surmount every obstacle because your purpose is our quest. I pray empowerment. I pray the, 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 the fruition of, of prophetic word coming to pass. Stuff we will hold in our hand and we will see, Father, in the name of Jesus. Let our minds be filled with your descriptions of us that reveal your nature to us. You declare us as mighty, valiant warriors, able with, as with one man to destroy a millionite host. In the name of Jesus, Father, we don't look at the obstacles. We don't look at the, the magnitude of what you've called us to be. And sometimes we, in the natural, we see ourselves so small in terms of the bigness you have for us. The things you've called us to do. The things you've called us to do, Father. Let your will triumph. May nothing abort your purpose. We are passionate about one thing. It's your will. It's your purposes being executed upon the earth. Let us not be intimidated by the bigness of the task. For some of you, by the, the, the magnitude of the business God has called you to manage. By some of you, the magnitude of, of the space in your work God has called you to occupy. For some of you, the magnitude of, of wealth that God has called you to steward. The Lord says, do not shrink back, son. Do not shrink back. I have made you more than able. I've made you. Do not succumb to your view of yourself. Become what I've made you to be. Become what I've called you to be. Receive the impartation of my nature that will cause you to obliterate every enemy that will stand before you. They will not shrink. They will not be defeated because of your strength. They will be defeated because the Lord of peace rests and vests so strongly within you. My nature within you declares the Lord. I'm prophesying. Please just lift your hand and receive this. The Lord says, my nature within you will be your strength. The Lord says, you will not, you will not have to scheme and, and, and look at millionite weaknesses. How can we overcome this? The Lord says, just stand in the full representation of everything I come to you as. For as I come to you in that capacity, it will become your portion in your character. And that will be the principle by which I will destroy the enemy that has come up against you. In the name of the Lord. So let your mind be aligned to the mind of Christ. The Lord says, set your mind, my son, on things above and not on things on the earth. Where you are seated with me 
in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, just give him thanks. We give you thanks and praise, Father. Thanks and praise for what you're revealing to us. The things you are showing us. May we become and, and do all your will. All your will, Father. Oh, Father, help, help the, the smallness of our thinking. Help the limitation of our thinking. Help us to upgrade mentally, Father. Help us to think of us as you think of us. Your thoughts toward me are vast, Father. Vast is the sum of them. There are so many, I can't even count them. More than the sand of the seas, more than the stars in the sky, are your constant ruminations of everything about me. May those thoughts become my thoughts. May what you think of me become what I think of me. May I become all that you've made me to be. May I shrink back from no purpose under the heavens. In the name of Jesus, I will be successful. I will do your will. I will do your will for your glory, not for my own ambition. I will do your will for your glory. That peace might rest upon the land. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.